0: hello i'm so excited to welcome today the gorgeous jory rose jory is that right
1: jory yes jory. i always say it's like lori with the j but so jory please tell me where are you who are you what's your thing Yes, well, I'm so happy to be here. I know I recently had you on my podcast and we were just so excited to connect. so to be able to connect again so soon is just a real it's a real gift. So thank you. Thank you. So I am Jory Rose. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist and a mindfulness and meditation teacher, an author and a podcaster and a busy mama of uh, two teenage girls. And I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, so really coming to you all the way across the world.
0: Well, that's beautiful. Some of my favorite guests so far have come from the very same area. I think there's a real synergy between Sydney, Australia, where I am, and San Francisco, where you are. Um, And tell me, I'm really interested in the mindset and mindfulness and meditation part of what you do. Why did you originally
1: learn about that or get drawn to it? in the first place? Yeah, I, I like to say mindfulness found me. I didn't go and seek it out. Um, the the short version of the story is that I was getting my licensure to be a marriage family therapist um, which here in the state of California is quite a long journey of needing 3,000 hours in order of internship hours in order to qualify for the state exams. And I got halfway through my hours, I was quite young at the time. And I never quit anything in my life. And I decided this wasn't the right time for me. I didn't have the life skills to be guiding others in how to really, truly live their authentic life. And so sure. I ended up stopping halfway through those hours and I stopped to have my babies. And like I said, I've got two teenagers now. Uh, my oldest is 18 and heading off to college in a couple of months. And my youngest is almost 16. Anyhow, when my youngest was in kindergarten, I woke up one day and I was in my early thirties. And I I literally had this, awakening moment of asking myself, how did I get here? How, how, you know, I, I didn't really remember making the conscious choices to get to where I was. Now, I always knew I wanted to be married. I always knew I wanted to be a mom. I was really fortunate to be able to be able to be a stay-at-home mom at this time, but I always was in search of what was next? What was next? What was next? What was next? And I, I think I was searching for the thing that would make me feel at peace and have safety and security. So I had actually married my high school sweetheart. We had been together since I was 13 years old. And I I literally kept always rushing to that next stage, thinking once I get to that next stage, then I'll feel good or I'll feel safe or secure or whatever it was I was seeking. But here I was in my early 30s, and I didn't know what stage was next because I had gotten married, we'd bought the house, I had my first daughter, had my second daughter. And I was like, what's next? And that really kind of put me into an existential crisis because I had the life I, 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 I wanted, I had created and cultivated the life I, I had envisioned in my mind, and here I was, and something wasn't right. And I got myself into therapy because I, I kind of didn't know what to do. You know, it's, it's I'm in my early 30s. Now what? There's no more next stage to get to. And what was there to look forward to? What was I working towards? And again, I was happy, but I wasn't fulfilled. And something inside of me was not in alignment. And I found a therapist. And I'm sitting in his office for the very first time. And not only was it uh, that, you know, the doorway into my entire rest of my life was the path of that beginning of my own journey and my own self-awareness journey and healing journey. But it also was overlapping what became this professional journey because I'm sitting in this therapist's office and I had this very grounded sense that I think I want to go back and get my license. I think I want to go back and work towards those hours because at this point, I'd kind of given that up and figured, well, yeah, I got a master's degree. It cost me a lot of money, but I really learned life skills. So if those taught me how to be a better wife and mother, then it wasn't for naught. And I continued with the therapy and I was in therapy for about five years, but it inspired me to contact my previous supervisor that I had worked with eight years earlier. And at the time, eight years earlier, when I was getting my hours towards my licensure, I was a school counselor. And I thought, you know, being um, back in schools would be a really great schedule to fit the routine of my daughters who were in school. So I thought that would be a real aligned timing since being a stay-at-home mom also was one of my highest values. I don't want to compromise not being with my kids. So I contacted my old supervisor, and it happened to be in January. And here I was thinking, you know, we'd have to wait till the next school year started. That I'd have to wait all the way till September to get an internship. Well... It was the very first of many, many, many serendipitous moments. And she happened to have a school who came on mid-year. She had an intern all lined up. And the week before I called her, I hadn't spoken to her in eight years. I hadn't seen her since my baby shower. And this intern dropped out last minute. And then here I call. So not only did I get to start my internship the very next week, I happened to be placed at a school in which, ironically, I got to cultivate the internship as my own because not a lot of people in the school were using me as the free therapist on site with an independent private school. These families had gobs of money who were sending their kids the top therapist. Well, simultaneously, I'm in my supervisor's office one day and I see a book titled Mindfulness. I had never heard of mindfulness before. Of all the books on her shelf, this book caught my attention. And I said, what's mindfulness? And she said, well, I've got an intern who's doing mindfulness with kids. Give her a call and she can tell you more. And it went from, you know, making a phone call, being directed in different, you know, places and websites. And again, serendipitous moment, there was a mindfulness class, an introduction to mindfulness class starting the following week. Um, about an hour from my house, actually near Stanford University. And I drove the hour for the next six weeks to take this intro to mindfulness. And to be honest with you, Lena, I I don't know what I really learned in those six weeks, other than I know I need to know more. Mm. And the teachers, I'll have to say, weren't really great as far as explaining mindfulness at this point. Mindfulness had not really been yet mainstream. It was still pretty esoteric. Meditation was just beginning to get more secular, um, you know, FaceTime, so to speak, right? It was still kind of in the beginning stages of all of this becoming more of a well-known integrated secular practice versus an ancient contemplative wisdom practice. So in that six-week class, I was guided in my very first meditation ever. It was 10 minutes long. And I seriously thought I was going to (laughs) die because I had never sat still for 10 minutes. And I think that the whole, what was next, what was next, what was next was my own effort to prevent me from sitting still. Because when I got still, it was like, ah, what do I do with all these thoughts? And what do I do with all these emotions? And I had to learn how to just literally breathe and how to exhale because I had taken a lot in, but I was not ever taught in how to let anything go. And I was in a habit of believing my thoughts as my truth. I was in a habit of not only believing my thoughts, but believing my catastrophizing thoughts believing the worst case scenario would happen. And I came from a family in which the worst case scenario did happen. So my anxiety and my fears were actually handed to me on a silver platter, as I like to say, right? For so many of us, our fears are a result of what if, but I came from a family in which the what if was actually our reality. And so I felt like my fears were justified. So I felt it was understandable why I would believe all my negative thoughts. And to put it into context, um, my mom's parents, when my mom was 16, my mom's parents were killed in a car accident hit by a drunk driver. And my mom was the only survivor of the accident and her parents were instantly killed. And my mom became caretaker to her two younger brothers and her immigrant Russian grandparents moved into the house. And as you can imagine that trauma permeated every witch Level of the family system and impacted her parenting greatly. And then I'm the youngest of three. And when I was three, my parents got divorced. And when I was 10, my dad committed suicide. So I really had a lot of trauma in my family growing up. So again, when I say fear and anxiety was in my DNA, and it was really the It, you know, my mom was a survivor, but I'm not sure in, in that time that you really kind of, it was as common as it might be now to understand trauma and how to get past trauma. So I felt like I was really working against what I was embodied as having that negativity bias and believing those thoughts and being stuck in fear. So it made perfect sense to me why all I was doing was seeking comfort and security And I think that's why I married my high school sweetheart, because it was really safe. Yeah. So when I actually began this existential journey of who am I and how did I get here? Mindfulness practice, which I delved into, I mean, I from that first six week class, I went on both a professional journey with it as far as getting certified and teaching mindfulness in schools, going on uh, retreats. I did a seven day Um, mindfulness-based stress reduction retreat with Jon Kabat-Zinn, who's like the grandfather of mindfulness in the Western world, really responsible for integrating these ancient contemplative practices with modern Western science. I did a five-day silent Buddhist meditation retreat. I mean, I really, I went all in. And it was this overlap of professional journey because I always knew I wanted to be a therapist, but traditional models of therapy didn't really align with who I was as a human. I didn't want to be a therapist in which I couldn't show up as a whole person in the room. You know, I'm a very human-centered therapist and mindfulness gave me that amazing structure. Um, You know, with my favorite humanist psychologists, um, like Carl Rogers, where the foundation of humanistic psychology was all about acceptance and unconditional positive regard which really goes hand in hand with mindfulness practice and being present and being authentic and so it gave me an avenue to figure out how can i authentically show up as a therapist and so now mindfulness is a framework from which i teach with all my clients but it also gave me this path of immense insight and learning and growth and ultimately getting to a place of alignment because I was not in alignment. I I thought one thing, but I felt another. And I had been scared for so many years of my life to actually trust my inner wisdom and to believe the messages my body was telling me. And as a result, um, from years of learning how to be still and breathe and trust those messages, because I knew that in my head, I could overanalyze, over justify, I could check the boxes and I thought that was enough, but internally I just, I knew some things weren't right. So it did lead to my own divorce, um, through that whole process because I realized, you know, not having any problems in a relationship doesn't necessarily make it a reason to stay together forever. And there was, I, I was on a growth journey and I needed to trust and follow that path. So I guess I was in the beginning, so this was a short story, but I guess I made it a long story, (laughs) but you know, it's, um, I I would not be where I was today. Had I not woken up that day and said, who am I? How did I get here? Mm. It was probably the most courageous and, um, scariest thing I've ever done was to get still and to allow everything just to settle. Yeah, And to trust what I felt and to follow that path, even though it was the curviest path I never thought I would take because up to that point, my life was kind of like a straight line, Mm -hmm. you know, in many ways, I mean, minus the traumas, I was very, despite the traumas I grew up in my family history, I was very centered and very grounded. And also, um, you know, it it did, I I was not trauma ridden, per se. Mm. And so you know, while I made those conscious choices to get to where I was, I think they were based on a set of values that were really evolved with who I was meant to become. Yes. So, so yeah. So, I mean, that, that's really how I got to where I am now. And, and now I, you know, it's my, my intention and the way that I show up in my work is to teach mindfulness in a way that I wish I could have been taught. Yeah. Because, I I still believe, even with meditation, you know, meditation is the foundation of a mindfulness practice. It's considered that meditation is the formal practice where you consciously sit and do it. Whereas mindfulness is the informal practice. I always say, you know, mindfulness isn't something you add to your to-do list. It's something that's on your to-be list. It's who you want to be in the world. It's the quality of the presence you bring to each moment. It's how you want to show up. In your relationships, it's how you're yeah. in relationship to yourself. and I have been cultivating curriculum and been teaching the, again, I, I teach the course I wish I could have taken. Yeah, you know, because I want to teach mindfulness in a way that holds very true to the foundations and tenets and context of which it's rooted in in Buddhist meditation practice, but teach it in a secular, relatable, attainable, integratable sort of way that people mm. can really say, yeah, I can I can be this busy stay-at-home mom. I can be that soccer mom. I can be a busy corporate woman and I can still really live a mindful life because I think there was a lot of assumptions and judgments that, you know, people who were very mindful already were meditators and were very calm and very Zen-like and spoke very softly and never got angry and a lot of misconceptions,
0: Yeah. I'm curious actually to explore some of that with you. So one thing you mentioned was unconditional positive regard. Can you tell me what
1: that means? Unconditional positive regard is seeing another in their full potential. And that if I can see you in your full potential and I respond to you from that place of acceptance and authenticity and believing in your human ability to grow into who you're supposed to become, that if I can help see that in, if I, if I see that in you, then you can begin to see it in yourself. Oh, I say that so often.
0: It's interesting. I say, if you are having trouble having faith in yourself or believing in something or feeling confident, borrow some of my faith in you, borrow my sense that you are confident, borrow my belief because I've got it in spades, you know, and I do, yes. like I, I kind of generally am and unconditionally positive regarding person so it's a very powerful thing actually to have that even if it's not in you yet to understand it's possible and to have someone
1: yes. encourage it. yeah and I often will say something similar in language and say even if you can't believe it yet I will hold the space yeah until you can like you know allow yeah. allow and allow me to hold the container free that this is possible even yeah, if you I can't believe it. Absolutely. And how do I know it's possible? Is because I didn't think it was possible for me. So if I can yeah. if i if I can find that sense of uh, authenticity and acceptance and alignment, then yeah. anyone can. If if I am able to get out of my head and into my body, if I'm able to truly and honestly let go of fear and anxiety as a way of being, anyone can. And I'm not any different mm-hmm. than anyone. It's a practice, right? I and too. there's yeah, tools that's so to cultivate interesting. that.
0: I have two stories that come to mind. One is that the first time that I experienced a sense, really direct sense of unconditional love outside of my family was I went to see a healer essentially uh, and she was more of an energy style healer and uh, I was pretty, you know, pretty deeply in addiction as a coping mechanism for some of the things I'd experienced in my life. And I was ready to change and ready to leave that experience. And I went to see this woman in this apartment, you know, like random, had to drive an hour to get there, didn't know her at all, walked into her apartment, burst into tears, like just felt this Mm. immense. And I'll never forget the feeling because the sense that you get when you're around that energy when you haven't been before is so powerful, it's deeply, like it's something I can never forget the way that felt. And there was another time I felt something similar, not the same, but similar where I was doing some work with a kind of human-centered therapy, I would say, Um, and I'd love to talk more with you about what that means. But I was kind of having an experience with a group of people. They did sort of workshops, but you also got mentored and and sort of split off with one-on-one with people. And the first time I did this session one-on-one, and, uh, I recognize that moment as a particular moment in my life where everything changed for me. And literally all it was, was me telling my story, but it was me telling my story in the context of a person with mm. those beliefs, with those, uh, abilities to create a space and it yeah, so it, it, it's
1: almost, it, it's almost like believing it before you actually experience it and how might you yeah. act differently if you believed it. Yeah. Yeah, and I just told this story. I told a long story. She just
0: wrote notes. All it was was me. And I know that for me, certainly there's been a lot of times in my life where telling stories about either myself or listening to stories about other people when they're telling their real story. That's a very powerful thing. I can understand why this is something we've been doing for thousands and thousands of years as human beings, telling stories and hearing stories. And the power of that as a healing, you know, there's a few things that I think are really healing doing things with your hands, telling stories in a safe way, hearing stories in a safe way. Yeah. Those are really fundamental to our being type things, you know. And um, when you come across that in our modern world, it's all the more powerful because we kind of don't just naturally do it anymore. We don't generally have those rituals or those practices any longer um, in mainstream Western culture. I would say,
1: which is why I, I love going on retreats because yeah. I feel like so many of the retreats that I went on provided the context for that, you know, container.
0: Yeah. Sorry. My son's yeah. just walked in on our That's think, okay. interview to tell me that there's mail at the door. Thank you. Oh, sweet boy. Can you Take the dog with you, darling. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, this is how we do uh, this recording, life, right? podcast interviews at home. Of course you open the door, sweetie. And if you, if you go, that's fine. You can leave the dog. Thank you, my love. <laughs> I
1: was going to say that my, my single most life defining moment took place while on a retreat and I just think that it's powerful because when we consciously step out of our day-to-day routine and we give ourselves the physical space and distance from our to-dos and even our relationships to really enter into a container for slowing down, for breath work, for insight, for growth, for experiences that we are consciously creating that space for, Yeah, that in and of itself is transformational. Yes, you I know? agree. And the life defining moment, the way that I got there was even through a series of serendipitous events. And so that's the other part of it to me is the question of, you know, how much are we paying attention to these signs that are often always there, but we're sometimes too busy to even notice them. And, you know, I, I trusted those signs mm. and, you know, I I became like this, okay, universe, give me whatever you got. I need science to point me in the right direction. Yes. And that that most life-defining moment, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of the book, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior by Dan Millman. I love it. Okay, so that was the retreat that I was on with him. How incredible. And I've actually been on retreat with him three times. But it was the first time um, at the Omega Institute, which is in upstate New York. I know of it. And, uh, yeah. And the weekend was the peaceful warrior weekend. Wow. So the first part of it was cultivating a peaceful, compassionate heart. And the Sunday morning was cultivating our warrior spirit. Mm. And the morning started off with him teaching us a martial arts routine that he then put to music to a Lionel Richie song. And I'm like, how in the hell did I get here? It's the Sunday in July 2013 and I'm doing martial arts listening to Lionel Richie with Dan Millman. Like how did you he get here? Are I you guess, it was me that ser- Dan
0: Millman is a martial
1: artist? He is. Yeah, he is. That's amazing. And I didn't know that. He is. And um It was, again, I paid attention to the signs and I trusted the signs to follow the the path, right? It was like the breadcrumbs. So we finished this martial art routine and then he gets us into groups of three. And it was an exercise about self-doubt. So let's say you, Elena, are my long lost friend. So you're standing across the room and I'm gonna walk towards you to come embrace you. And then there's a third person in our little diet triad of our, our, our exercise and as I'm walking towards you, this person throws their arm out, blocking Whoa. me in front of the chest, preventing me from getting to you. And that person represented self-doubt. Wow, oh, beautiful. So we had to go through the exercise a total of nine times because I try to approach you the first time I get blocked. I try to approach you again. The second time, self-doubt, right, still stops me. The third time, I'm able to push past self-doubt, and I now embrace you. We each had to rotate. And be all three of those parts of what it felt like to not be able to reach our goal, what it felt like to be self-doubt and what nice. it felt like to not have someone be able to approach us. So we finish this exercise and then Dan Millman puts, to get, puts up two cement blocks with a purple meditation cushion in between them and a plastic interlocking board across the top of the blocks. And he says, we're going to have to break a board. Yeah, cool. And the immediate thought that I had, is it okay if I swear on your show or should I use the language? Okay, good. (laughs) Because the immediate thought I had in my head was I can't fucking break a board. (laughs) And I was like, wow, there was self-doubt immediately. Mm. So he said that there was actually three different boards. One that was the weight of an equivalent piece of wood. A lighter yeah. one and a heavier one. Yeah. So he says, make, pick your choice and you're only going to get one chance. Meanwhile, I'm having this like self-doubt mantra going through my head. I can't do this. Yeah. So before he has us start, he says, oh, by the way, what's the goal here? And we're all just like, well, Dad, you just told us the goal. The goal is to break a board. Like he the said, no, <laughs> He's he said, no. The goal is to hit the cushion. The board is simply in your way. Nice. He said the cushion represents your dreams and your goals Mm -hmm. and the board represents your obstacles.
0: I love that. And, you know, I I can verify that during martial arts gradings that I attend, often someone will either be looking doubtful or they will miss first first go. And the master will always say, you're not kicking the board, you're kicking the person behind the board. There you go. That's how you do it.
1: It's my, it's my turn at finally, and I picked the middle board because I don't like taking the easy way out with things. So (laughs) I chose the middle one all the while having this self-doubt mantra going through my head and I'm kneeling down and I'm looking up at Dan Millman and he's guiding me on what to do. And I raise up my arm and I come down and I didn't break it. Mm. And immediately I was like, see, I told myself I couldn't do it. Yeah. And then I went into instant embarrassment and shame. Because out of a group of like 65 people, there was six of us who didn't break the board. So everyone goes and then he says, okay, raise your hand if you didn't break it. So I kind of sheepishly rose my hand. He yeah. said, okay, I'm gonna actually, I'm gonna give you one more chance. Cool. So now I had to make the decision again, which board was I gonna try to break. Mm. And I'm like, well, I'm still not taking the easy way out. If I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. And I'm gonna go back what I originally started with. So this time I, my turn again, I'm looking up at Dan Millman. I'm kneeling down. And I realized the first time I did two things wrong. One was I hit with the wrong part of my hand. I hit more with my pinky versus the meaty part and it did hurt. And I could, I knew it hurt, not only because it physically hurt, but the tip of my pinky was bright purple because all the blood had rushed the tip of my finger. But I realized all of my focus, like my, my visual focus and all of my energetic focus was on the board. Mm. So, I this time consciously checked my mindset and I consciously shifted all my energy and focus to the cushion and not the board. And I'm taking my deep breaths and I'm getting ready. And Dan Melman says to me, When you do it, that's when you do it. Like when you do it, commit, right? Yeah. I raised my arm up, took my deep breath, and I came down and I broke through that board and I hit that purple cushion. And I let out this whopping scream.
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) And that was my single most life-defining changing moment because no longer could my mantra of self-doubt and I can't fucking do this, it no longer applied. Mm. And I committed to myself through my mindfulness practice, through my meditation practice, through all these retreats that I had gone on, that I was not going to let this experience just pass me by and go back to my everyday life. Mm. And it was pretty amazing because I came home from that retreat and I knew that at some point soon my marriage was going to end.
0: And And that's that's fascinating because that touches on an aspect of this, story that I think we often don't mention which is to do with willingness so you were saying nothing will stop me now like I am going to be all that I am and all that I can be you had made that commitment and I then did. the question that follows that is what are you willing to do or give up or be in order to it, achieve it, it that was fulfillment
1: it was a sacrifice, right? Yeah, the huge and willingness. Yeah. In fact, I'm I'm looking at something right now because I think that there's more serendipitous happening in this particular moment. <laughs> I looked at my Facebook memories. Yeah. And, um, I my Facebook memory was that here's the next part of the journey. Right. I came home from that retreat from New York and I knew that Dan Millman was leading a retreat in Costa Rica.
0: Oh my God. I came home and I told him Costa
1: Rica. I, I told my husband that I wanted to go to his retreat in Costa Rica. Yeah. And, and he wouldn't let me. Oh no! And the following year I got divorced. Yeah. And do you want to know what one of the very first things was that I did? I could guess. When I got divorced, I booked that next Costa Rica retreat. And my Facebook memory from today (laughs) was that it was today in 2016 that I left to go to Costa Rica.
0: Wow. Uh, I'm getting goosebumps. 2016 was a big year,
1: huh? Yeah. And I went to Costa Rica and... What I was so proud of myself when, because I'd never traveled internationally by myself. I had not done much by myself since I had been with my ex, since I was 13 years old. Yeah. And I was boarding that plane to Costa Rica, thinking back to the first retreat I was on in 2013, so full of humbled pride that from that moment, I broke the board and here I was, was it two and a half, three years later, almost three years later. That I actually made the changes that I committed to when I let go of self-doubt.
0: Amazing. Yeah. And I think it's so beautiful that you have a moment that you can pinpoint. For me, the letting go of self-doubt, that's an ongoing practice. That is something that I can't say there's ever been one moment where I feel like it's completely disappeared. I feel like for me, maybe I can remember when it became a friend of mine. You know, I can remember when I kind of made friends with my fears and my self doubts in order to understand that there were messages in there that I can use and that I can embrace and that I can understand as a kind of a shadow, a shadow side of me that I believe our right. shadow is really important. And, and that actually, recognizing the shadow voice, the shadow um, messages, really helped me define my choices and my movements yeah, and my, nice. you know, how I move through life. But it's not that they're gone for me, and well, I'm actually a big one. Not I'm not actually one who talks about overcoming fear, and I address my fears every time I train. You know, I I do martial arts. I do all kinds of scary stuff. And it's an ongoing commitment there. Okay. It's not something that I feel like you just, for me well, anyway, and, it's and personal. And that's,
1: well, well, no, and I agree with you because here's the thing. I'm still human. I still yeah, right. feel self-doubt. I still yeah. have fears. Still the still differences. I just don't let them take over. I have a different mm-hmm. relationship to them. That's so the, the life-defining change was that I recognized, because my old habit and pattern and belief system And the way I was raised was as soon as that thought came in, you believed it.
0: Right. And I love that. I was going to versus
1: I love that verse versus just, oh, I see. There you are, old friend. This is my Mm -hmm. old habit, self-doubt creeping back in just because you're here doesn't mean you need to take over. And what that relies on is is a practice of being able to separate
0: yourself from your thoughts. So that, and, and that's a very Buddhist concept, right? So,
1: well, and that's a hundred percent, you know, for me, what mindfulness is it's about awareness yeah. mm. and it's about being the observer mm. and it's creating that space and it's having compassion. And then I had a really significant moment coming home from that trip. I was flying home and I traditionally have not liked to fly. It's just, um, I don't love flying and, I was flying out of JFK airport in New York, and I was on a plane that had TVs on the back of every seat, live television. And it was what otherwise would have been an incredibly stressful moment for me because another local airport had to close down because a plane had a hard landing. So it wasn't a Mm. crash, but by the FAA standards, Mm. they had to investigate it. So yeah. all the planes were being diverted to JFK on top of the summer rainstorm. So the airport kept opening and closing. Ooh, plus like all the scary. planes being diverted. Everyone's TV screen was the live news of the crash at the other airport. Oh my god! My anxiety. When TV on you know, airplanes is a bad idea. The old me would have been like, I'm getting off and I'm driving home. And it would have taken me, you know, five days to get back from the East Coast and yeah. cut to California. And my mom is always, understandably so, she was a big worrier. Yeah. Well, I was sitting on that plane tarmac, on the tarmac, for five and a half hours. Oh, my gosh. And it's only a, a five-hour flight to get back mm. from New York. So about five hours into my five and a half-hour delay, I realized, oh, I should probably call my mom and tell her we haven't even left yet. So I call her, and she, of course, is instantly worried. Like, Jory, why are you calling? You're supposed to be in the air right now. And I said, actually, here's all the craziness going on. We haven't even taken off yet. And she said something so simple to me. And again, I was in this space to be able to observe her statement and again make a, a literally a life-changing relationship to my thoughts and what I had received. And what she said to me was, Oh, Jory, you must be so frustrated. Really simple statement, Elena, a really simple statement. And I took a deep breath and I actually said, you know what, mom, it is a frustrating situation mm. and I'm okay. Yeah. Which is an amazing it, distinction. Mm. Well, because I realized in that moment, how easy it was for me to take on how she was feeling yeah, or cool. even take on the beliefs of someone else between her and my ex-husband, because understand I grew up really really dependent on my mom and she was dependent on me after my her divorce and my dad died Mm. and then I never individuated I never did went through that stage where I you know really kind of became my own because I transferred all that dependence I had on her onto my ex-husband at 14 years old because that's what we do Mm. it's right but I you know normal developmental stage would say who am I outside of these roles Outside of these relationships, I never did that. So here I was at 32 doing that for the first time and the ability to say, wait a second, like what a fascinating concept that I can actually have a different thought or belief than my mom. It's so simple, but it was so profound in in that moment because I was sick in this space of awareness and compassion for myself, right? Mm -hmm. Which was...
0: It really highlights to me that once you become conscious of the levels on which these awarenesses are occurring, and I always say I really believe that awareness in itself is a transformative force because the moment you have that awareness, then your perspective on things and your perspective on choices, really teeny tiny little choices, like what words you say when your mother says that must be frustrating, you know, like, that's a powerful thing, but it's something we don't recognize the power of that unless we're aware. And I think awareness yeah. is something we cultivate over time. It's ever-changing. It's subject to so many factors. You know, It's subject to any given day. It's subject to our past experience. It's subject to the influences we have in our lives. And I think that's why I love speaking to people like you and having mentors around me um, that can help me to see things differently. It's one yes. of those fundamental, and it's difficult to describe the power of that because it's almost an experiential thing. And I remember, again, with that um, incredible learning that I did with that human-centered stuff and that workshop, people would say to me, you know, what are you doing this weekend? I'd be like, I don't even think I can describe it because it's, it's actually an experiential yeah, so when I say experiential, it's an experience. It's something you can only experience. It's actually indescribable. Well, and
1: other people may not get it. You could describe mm. it to a T, but unless right. you are in it, it's hard to actually understand the impact or yeah. you know, the 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 transformation that occurs because how you might describe the language is really disconnected from the internal experiential sense of it.
0: Right. And I think it's really important we understand that if we keep seeking answers and seeking optimization of our experience as human beings, that the seeking, you may lead to the same message a hundred times, but it may not be till you hear it that hundredth time that it's the right day, the right moment, the right context for you to take it in and mm. actually be able to really understand it and use it. You know, so it's that thing, I really, I really love being parts of conversations like this. And, in fact, I just went away for the weekend. It was my birthday and I went away with them. Um, Happy birthday, by the way. Thank you. I went away with uh, three girlfriends. It was meant to be six of us, but two couldn't come, you know, life, mother stuff going on. And so I was there with my three girlfriends and I had these images of like having a big party. We went to this beautiful, absolutely beautiful house on the Hawkesbury River. In a, It's a house that you can only get to by boat about two hours out of Sydney. It was divine. And we had amazing food and beautiful wine. It was a real treat for all of us. And I had this idea that we might at some point have a few drinks and start dancing. But honestly, all we did was we sat and we talked about things. We told stories and we talked about what was going on for us and what had gone on for us. And it was such a beautiful, amazing kind of sharing. And one of the birthday cards was, um, let's party, you know, happy 50th, let's have a party, but only till 9 PM. And I thought that's exactly what we were like. We ended up getting in our pajamas and watching some comedy. Fantastic comedian called Ali Wong, highly inappropriate comedian, fantastic comedian, who does a lot of mom jokes and was very funny. And so we just sat on this couch and, you know, had a cup of tea Sounds watched perfect. comedy. Yeah, it was fantastic. And, um, but I just was really struck by how we all, we basically talked all weekend. And I thought it was amazing, yeah. but it didn't feel well, unless, draining. You know, like sometimes it's so that can be draining. so healing,
1: right? Yeah. But I think in I the know. right context, it's so healing and it's so connecting yeah. and, yeah, Yeah. And, you know, it becomes transformative when we can allow those experiences to really have the impact on us that we're seeking. And, you know, for, for my journey, and even how I show up as a therapist is I take down that therapeutic wall, and I show up as a human. And I, you know, I believe if I'm here to guide others in their own awareness and compassion practice, what better way to do that than to role model it and to be the human role modeling versus this kind of, you know, therapeutic wall and have yeah. that disconnect. And I thought, you know, it just doesn't fundamentally align with my values. If I'm trying to guide someone into deeper relationship with themselves or others, doesn't it start with how the relationship we develop between two humans together? Yeah, and, absolutely. you know, it's, it's all informed, but, you know, to me, it, it always comes down to, I think fundamentally, whether I'm, you know, teaching meditation, whether it's mindfulness tools, whether it's a therapeutic setting, whether I'm leading my own retreats, it's fundamentally first about awareness, right? You can't change what you're not aware of. And it can, we have curiosity and compassion. I think if we can always remember awareness, curiosity, and compassion, we can get through any difficult moment, get through any major block in our life because, you know, the awareness to just notice so we can be off of autopilot and get yeah. really intentional. The curiosity to just be friendlier to ourselves and our experience and say, oh, this is, you know, instead of saying, why is this happening to say, what am I here to learn? Mm. You know, and the compassion to just be kind to ourselves and to mm. remember that we are human and we've already gotten through 100% of everything we never thought we could. It doesn't mean mm. it's easy. And we're on this journey. And it's not a journey that has a beginning or an end. It's a process of, to me, it's a process of becoming Mm. and unbecoming the things that are not serving you, because that's what I had to really do was shed the mindsets of, oh, I can't do that. You know, I'm still working on the narratives from my family of origin that are holding me back, you know, that the family systems that transgenerational narratives to say I don't have to let those define me or be me and that's okay well there's so much in what you're saying Jory and as, as you
0: I'm just checking the time because I feel like again I could talk to you all day happened as well when we when you interviewed me I was like oh my gosh I could talk all day <laughs> um but I really appreciate you being here there's so much in what you said and I feel like There's a lot of gems here for people to take away, not just therapists or people in therapy, but also skills that we can learn like the holding space, the ability to just sit and listen to somebody as they tell you their truth without having to fix it, without having to give advice, without having to even give compassion sometimes, but just hold a big enough space for someone to talk their way through something. I feel like that's a very powerful, powerful skill that, We could all do with cultivating. The one about curiosity, yeah, I agree. If we can go from that person is looking at me to I wonder if that person is looking at me, that is a quintessential shift in the way you feel every day, right? And then the self-compassion to not judge yourself for maybe not doing that every time. And the self-compassion which then can extend out into the world. And I think that's a big word for this year for all of us, having had the experiences we've had over the last few years, to be able to afford ourselves an increased level of self-compassion, to experience all the feelings that are kind come up now that things are starting to shift and not be in such an emergency state, that yes. now is when we will feel things and now is when we need to feel them, not suppress them, not feel like we need to do or be anything but who we really are. And this is a massive opportunity. It really is.
1: If we, if we choose to look at it that way, because that is right. a choice to see it that way and see the opportunity, you know, feelings are meant to be felt. I mm. don't, you know, people, we, we so instantly uh, label our emotions as good or bad, positive or negative. Mm. And I always will say, there's no such thing as a negative emotion. They're all natural mm. emotions. Where Emotions are simply <laughs> information. I'm so with you there. I'm so with you. I just had my son's first day of school
0: and I'm not, I'm not criticizing anyone for doing this. I understand it, but almost every person I encountered from other parents to teachers, to teachers, aides, everybody that I saw that day, except maybe one or two said to me or my son, are you happy? Are you excited? Are you happy? Are you excited? And I thought that's to me an expression of how much you are yearning for happiness and excitement in your life. That's what that's an expression of. And to be honest, what a projection. (laughs) Wow. Right. And my feelings were way beyond the scope of happiness and excitement. I mean, my feelings were all over the place. And actually, the more that people tried to put me in that little box of happiness, excitement, happiness, excitement, the more I felt really like almost upset and angry and like offended (laughs) because I was going, no, I'm not only feeling happy. Sure. That's one thing. Of course I'm happy that my son's right. going to school and also a whole lot of other things you know and it was really a powerful experience to realize that a lot of the world I reckon at the moment I don't know if this is true I'm generalizing but it's going to be trying to go back to that sort of paradigm of I must suppress all the negative feelings I must go back to normal I must feel good so like I'm I must, so done you know, with all of those yes okay, well, I'm sick time. Time. Done.
1: yeah do you, know, and honestly, do you know what I like to say yeah. to me? Do you know what right. I like to say to people? Instead of saying, have a good day, have a day. Yeah, have a day. Because have a good day, that, that you know, why should Very I limiting. It has to be good? Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't limit me you to know, just, that one just, thing. Just have a day because whatever it day. is, is fine. Whatever yeah. it is, is fine. And it's that emotion, that thought, that experience, none, none of it's permanent. And the more that we, yeah. you know, fear, deny, resist, ignore, judge, push yeah. under the rug, but it's going to trip over a pile under the rug. And the more yeah. we grasp and cling and strive and want to hold on to what's good, then we are also being inauthentic because we're pushing aside a whole bunch of other emotions and experiences. And, and so all the beautiful stuff that lies in the shadows, you know, and yes, I think that's it's where so we insti- grow.
0: Yes. And the, I, I say things like, it's lovely to connect with you or it's lovely to speak with you because that for me honors the mo- unless it isn't, then I won't say that, but <laughs> generally. That's what I say because it gives me an honoring of the present moment without projecting too much. It's like I'm just yes. going to appreciate you. It's like I appreciate you, you know. Uh, and on, the, on that note, we should uh, maybe wrap it up because it's
1: nearly been an hour we've been talking Oh, about. my god, I gosh, can't believe it, flew by. It flew by. It always, always. It always do does. Do I don't know. Big love to you. And uh, it uh, has been
0: lovely to connect with you.
1: <laughs> it has been so, so lovely. You know, I, I know when you were on my podcast, I just – it it truly, I I have no attachment to whatever happens with the podcast in terms of growths and downloads, because to me, it is an opportunity to connect with people. And that is, I I think just the highest thing that I could honor is authentic connection. And so thank thank you for creating the space for me and for allowing me to share my journey. And I hope people listening found, like you said, some little nuggets of wisdom that they can take and apply to their own lives. And if nothing else, you know, just, I I think one of the biggest keys that has helped me aside from the, the big transformational moments is truly learning how to exhale. Mm. (laughs) The big one, isn't it? It, You know, that's almost a big one. Let's do it. We just, we just take a lot in, but we don't let a lot go.
0: So true. Beautiful. On that note. Thank you so much, Dory. We will leave love you and leave you for the Uh, moment probably to revisit in the future yes thank you you so much